Okay, Ephesians 4, uh, we've been discussing this under the topic, as you know, of how, what does God expect from me? And part of that, or that understanding is uh, that he expects me to walk worthy of the calling with which I've been called. And uh, we said uh, that that matter then is learning to walk worthy, learning to walk worthy. Uh, I said to you last week that you'll note uh, that in Ephesians, the word walk shows up in five. Uh, it, it's here in our, sorry, four, one. It's in uh, four, 17. It's in five, two. It, it's scattered all through the book. The word walk or live is scattered all through there. And then it ends in uh, another posture, perhaps, of walking is in 610 where it goes stand. And so <clears throat> there is this uh, interesting feature here about walking worthy that has to do with walking and standing. And so <clears throat> as I continue to reflect on that and, and give a little more time about that, this matter of walking worthy. I want you to think for a minute, think back uh, when you had kids. Uh, <clears throat> When you had to help them learn how to walk, remember those days? Uh, <clears throat> Becky and I were talking about that. She goes, you know, it's a good thing that God teaches children to walk when they're little because they have less uh, distance to fall. <clears throat> so, yeah, be better that you start then. Uh, <clears throat> but you remember that, Le teaching your kids to walk, working with them? <clears throat> Did they always want to walk nope. when they first started? <clears throat> Why, they wanted to keep, what, crawling? Wanted to keep crawling. It was comfortable. It was familiar. Uh, it was safe uh, in some respect. And then I know I've talked to parents who's, you know, oh, we want our kids to walk. And then they start walking. They go, oh, we want our kids to go back to crawling, yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> because it, it's something and it's it's something they learn, <clears throat> something they learn. I thought about that thought to reflect on that. Remember, here's a couple of uh, pictures here. <clears throat> Remember learning how to walk, helping kids uh, be able <clears throat> to learn how to walk. You remember those days when you had to hold them by the hand? And they, uh, they were learning to walk. Uh, <clears throat> saw another cute picture here. <clears throat> little girl trying to walk. She's getting ahead of herself, looks like a little bit. <clears throat> um, but mom's there <clears throat> and, uh, and helping to walk. And, and this idea that walking's not automatic. Uh, <clears throat> it takes effort. It takes learning. Uh, walking worthy of the calling must not be automatic to Paul. Or <clears throat> he would just say, walk worthy and that's it. Verse 1 of chapter 4, and Ephesians would be over. Uh, but it isn't. And so uh, Paul is going to give a good deal of attention uh, to that matter of walking worthy. How to walk worthy. Paul's no mystic. He doesn't believe it's automatic. He doesn't believe it just happens. He doesn't believe that uh, walking worthy is something that you'll just do because you're a follower of Jesus. It requires some form of instruction or some form of understanding. Now, as I was thinking through that, I want to give you two ideas that we're going to work through today and has to do with this about walking worthy. And it is this, that to walk worthy, this should be on your outline here, <clears throat> to walk worthy requires us the uh, strength to stand up, the strength to stand up. And I'm going to suggest that that is Ephesians uh, 1 to 3. Once we understand what God has done for us in Christ, we have the strength to stand up. And then the second part that we'll be working on here is the stability to stay up. It's one thing to stand up. It's another thing to stay up. And so I want to work on these two notions here as Paul refers to this idea of walking worthy. The strength to stand up and the strength to stay up 
in that regard. So what does that mean? Okay, first of all, the strength to stand up. Ephesians 1 to 3, we've discussed this before, but I want to call your attention to it again, that Paul spends a good deal of time here in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, an entire section of making declarative statements, statements of fact, statements of reality, before he gets to the imperative section of saying, now here's how you walk. I said before, this is a pattern of Paul's work. He gives you a reason for what you do. He gives you a basis for what we're to live. And so the strength to stand up, in my, in my opinion, is an accurate understanding of what God has done for us in Christ. And that's Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. It's also other uh, matters of that. Now, <clears throat> thinking about this um, matter of the strength to stand up, we, we've talked about that, but I want to end. This is a quick point here. I want to get through this. That one of the ways that we have the strength to stand up, and I was talking to Becky about this. Uh, one of the ways I think is this. I don't know about you, but I get distracted in life. No. no. <clears throat> I, uh, I, I, you know, I walked into the kitchen of the day and I thought, I know I came in here for a reason, <clears throat> but what was that? Now, I don't know if that's age or just my ADD kicking in. I have ADD and HD, high definition. And uh, I don't just have ADD. It's just ADD, HD. It's in high definition for me. I'm not making light of that. I'm just saying I'm kind of wired like that. But I get distracted and I forget and I get pulled into this world and its values like that. And one of my... Uh, the, per, the president of Asbury Seminary several years ago uh, who retired, Maxie Dunham, <clears throat> made this statement. And others have said, I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's original with Maxie or he took it from someone. You know, preachers generally steal stuff. You know, they say something, uh, so-and-so said this well, the first time they use it. The second time they say it, I have often said. The third time they use it, I always say. <clears throat> so it's mine. But Maxie said this, and I thought, I haven't practiced this, and I think this is part of the strength to stand up. <laughs> Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. The gospel is the work of God through Jesus Christ in Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. The prayer in 14 or 15 to 21. And then the gospel is our inclusion of both Jew and Gentile bringing us together in one family. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. To have the strength to stand up to this walk <clears throat> is to preach the gospel to yourself every day. I, that, I'm, not, I'm not doing preacher talk here. I'm saying tomorrow morning when you wake up or tomorrow at some time, you set aside, I think you can do it in 12 minutes. I think you can read these three chapters in 12 minutes. That's better than 12 minutes on Facebook. It's better than 12 minutes watching the news. <laughs> It's better than any other 12 minutes you're going to spend in the day. And I want to ask you to consider, would you be willing for the next 30 days to practice? I'm going to do it. I'm going to practice this. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do something I'm not willing to do. But I'm saying be intentionally and directed to say, in order for me to be able to stand up, I need to know the gospel that I have. So now if you say, well, Cliff, that's too much. That, that's too much. Then, you know, we'll find you another class. But no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <clears throat> kidding, 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 kidding. You know, we'll find you a lesser, you know. Uh, or if you, if you think, okay, I don't want to read those three chapters. Here's another section I'd recommend. Uh, read Romans 5, 1 to 11. And Paul, 
gives a good deal of explanation there of what it means to be right with God by faith. Not only forgiven, <clears throat> for he says, for, you know, uh, God demonstrates his love toward us and while you're sinners, Christ died for us. But he also shifts at about verse 10 that we'll not only be saved by his death, but by his life. And the gospel is not only about Jesus dying for me, but the gospel is about Jesus living in me, <laughs> right? And so <clears throat> if you want to take either one of those, but I want to challenge myself and you. I'm going to follow this myself. I'm not, I'm not just saying this kind of as some sideline thing. I think that one of the reasons I can get distracted and, and discouraged and all kinds of things is I am not daily preaching the gospel to myself. Anybody with me on this? Yeah, <clears throat> that, that this idea. And so if we want the strength to stand up, to walk worthy, we have to know the gospel for ourselves. And so I'm recommending this matter here of Ephesians 1 to 3 or Romans 5, 1 to 11. That'll help us as we do because we need the strength to stand up and hear the gospel for our sake. Now, in addition to that, in this section where we're going to be today is we need the stability to stay up. It's one thing to stand up, you know, with little kids when they start walking, they, they can stand up and then all of a sudden they fall. And, you know, that we, we not only want them to be able to stand up, we want them to be able to stay up. And so the ability to stay up in this worthy walking. I've got a couple of ideas here I want to work with. Uh, notice here, if you will, follow along with me at verse, uh, we'll just start at verse 1 and we'll work our way through this. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. <clears throat> And then Paul breaks into, in my judgment, how. He breaks into two sections here. Um, and and I, I'm going to try to unpack this. How do we do that? He says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Now, I want to just pause there and say the stability, if you will, on your outline there to stay up. Paul is concerned here, it seems certainly, in this matter of uh, the body of Christ or that we don't do this individually. The language throughout Ephesians is communal. When Paul says that you be filled with the Holy Spirit uh, in Ephesians 5, when he uses the word you, you should always assume that it is the t uh, plural form of y'all. <laughs> Paul was from southern Rome. It's not y'all, it's not just you, it's not Ewans, none of those, none of the Ewanses, you know, it's y'all. It's the second person plural pronoun, you, plural. So when you see those words, you, you be filled with Holy Spirit, it's plural. Paul is referring to a community of people. That doesn't negate that you should be a part of that, but it does suggest that Paul's view and understanding here of standing up and staying up has to do with the community, 
the, the body of Christ. And so we looked last week at what I called in this community of living this out, a kind of a passive act. I think these words here, humility, gentleness, patience. Those seem to me to be in some sense kind of, I don't use the word passive in a negative way. They're just less active. If you're humble, you're, you're willing to stay back. If you're gentle, you're not ready just to grab people by the throat. If, you're, if, you're, if you have patience, you're willing to bear some of these matters. And so it seems to me that in this being able to stay up, that it's in this area here, unity in experience. We're going to work through that. Unity in experience. How do you stay up? By unity in experience. Look how Paul continues. Unity in experience and showing tolerance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want to work through a couple of things here. Notice here what Paul says in this matter of this unity of experience. He says, bearing with one another in love. Now, I wrote in my notes here, that's a kind of an interesting phrase there, that this is no kind of romantic, simplistic, kind of everything's nice and easy. You ever had to bear with anybody in love? You ever had to do that? You know, that, that, that's a challenge, you know? Yeah, don't poke the person next to you, okay? Don't do that. But, but Paul is honest here. If we're going to stay up, if we're going to stay up, then we have to be willing to bear with one another in love. And that's not easy. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. I have a few friends that I call them free-range Christians. You ever heard of those free-range Christians? They're not connected with anybody. <clears throat> They're just kind of going around. They got a relationship with Jesus, but nobody else. <laughs> They're sort of thinking, I don't need anybody else. I'm just a free... They don't call themselves that. I call them that. Not to their face. <laughs> kind of a free-range Christian. Just kind of roaming around. And, I, and I've said to a couple of friends of mine, you know, that's easy. Because you don't have to deal with anybody. That's simple. Because you don't have to work around people that put a little edge on you. Or you don't have to deal with people who sometimes rub an edge off of you. That might have a different opinion. That might see things a little bit differently. And be willing to grow in some form of maturity. Because I'm able to tolerate. And that's a terrible word there. But this idea when Paul says, tolerate means to bear up. In love. I'm not just going to tolerate you. Okay, you're an idiot. You can believe that if you want to. That's just tolerance. We're called to something greater than that. We're called to bear up here one another in love. To where we say, we're going to listen to one another. We're going to share with one another. We're going to be open to one another. And if you've been in the church long enough, you know we don't always practice that, Right? We don't always find a way to get along with each other. We don't always find a way to be, if you will, tolerant in love to other people. But this is what Paul says. If you're going to stay up, if you're going to stay up in this worthy walk, it's going to require, if you will, some tolerance in love. I uh, thought about that word tolerance in English. Uh, you know, there are tolerance limits on machines. 
Uh, when I got out of high school, I worked for a civil engineer, which I found them to not really be that civil, but uh, they really weren't. Um, when we were working on a highway job in a different state, uh, because there are people maybe watching this that I don't want to talk about. <clears throat> anyway, we'd be doing a we we're working on a highway job. And uh, I was on the crew, and we would run what we called angles and, and pitch on the highway and stuff like that. And I can always remember our crew chief, we would be coming back in. It was hot. We're working. And I'd report, okay, here's the, here's the elevation like that. And he goes, close enough for government work. And uh, <clears throat> I thought, okay, what's the tolerance here? <laughs> Are we going to put a speed bump in this highway here somewhere? You know, tolerance, that, that kind of idea Tolerate. Yeah, you can let that happen. That, that, that's, not, that's not that big a deal. That's not what Paul's referring to here. He's saying being able to bear up in love with people that are different than us. People that may not agree with everything we agree with. Is it possible to be able to stay up in this worthy walk that we have this bearing with one. Is there somebody you've kind of been unbearable with that you've demanded that they agree with you or you've demanded that they do what you do? Or are you willing to bear, to bear their personality, their differences, their perspective, their thoughts? Tolerance can be a very indifferent approach to life unless we add love in it. And then notice Paul says this unity and experience also involves, watch, watch this, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, why would he say that? It's not automatic. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. We talked a little bit about this last week. Marty has said over time, over many times, that one of the reasons crossings he believes had such the growth and impact is because people have lived in this kind of unity. This unity, notice here, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I, I know I can tell I've been around leaders in this church a long, long time, and I can hear them say when we're in the meetings, so what do we think the Spirit is asking us to do? What do we think Jesus is asking us to do? Not, hey, hey, here's what I want to do. Hey, here's what I think we ought to do. Hey, here's what I demand we do. It's the, uh, it's the position or the matter of saying, what do we think God wants us to do here? Now, I'm just telling you, that can be remarkable. And I've been in elder meetings for about 20 years and heard our leaders over and over and staff members and others say, what is it that we think that God wants us to do? What is it that the Spirit is leading us to do? So Paul says this, notice he says, and being diligent or eager, eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Are we, are we willing to do that? To say, I'm going to be eager at this. I, I'm not going to lay back and, you know, I'm not going to make judgments on this matter here. I'm going, to, I'm going to be eager, eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And so I just ask us here in this matter of staying up. And the worthy walk. Are we a unifier? You know, it's a fascinating thing. It seems like that when people hear bad news, it's always shared quicker than good news. <laughs> Ever notice that? I've noticed that about me. I've noticed that about you. No. <laughs> I've noticed that about a lot of you. No. <clears throat> but, yeah. But, 
But this, this understanding of saying, I, I want to be eager. One of the things I haven't always practiced, but I heard about years ago, and one of the ways to be eager, to be diligent, to be eager to preserve the unity is uh, I read this statement years ago when it's, this person was talking about a situation and they were talking about a person <clears throat> situation going on. And uh, one of the people said, we got to stop. And the person, what do you mean? We got to stop talking about this situation. He said, why? He said, because we're going to protect the absent. Ooh. We're going to protect the absent. They're not here. We can't get their side of the story. We can't get their understanding of what happened. We're talking about someone and something in which there is no one here to give their position. And this person said that they live by this principle that what they would do is live to protect the absent in their conversations. Now, I've not always done that. And I guess none of us have always done that. But if we're eager to preserve the unity and the, uh, the uh, unity where he says right here, preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace to be willing to say, you know what? Let, let, let's just hold off on this till we get that person here or till we can talk to them, till we can discuss it. Churches find themselves often in divisive matters because people have talked over here, done this over here, talked over there. And then it just gets mounting in its effect throughout the church. So Paul, I think, is saying at some level. How do you stand up? By remembering the gospel. How do you stay up? By having unity in our experience. That's how we stay up and walk worthy of the calling, which you may call. Stuart, um, are you stretching? No, no. <laughs> so contextualize this for us a little bit in that I assume he's thinking Jews, Gentiles, spirit, community. <clears throat> Is there something deeper here that may be political or that says people and groups just by their nature have a difficult time getting along? Mm -hmm. Do we extend this teaching outside of the Christian community as Paul's teaching it here? Or is this really just an internal church community mm -hmm. teaching? He's asking the question for the recording's sake. Is this just the church or is this something that needs to be extended? I, if I understand your question, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you said one time that Rodney King commented, can't we all just get along? Get along. <laughs> and your answer was no. Yeah, I don't think so. And so is this teaching <clears throat> speaking to us in that context yeah. or just a, a spiritual community context? Yeah. Let me clarify here. I human beings in their fallen condition don't know how to get along. Uh, now, there is some thought in psychology called homogeneous units where people that share a common interest, like, you know, the Shriners or, or people that make quilts or something like that, you know. <laughs> I don't know, Beth. It's just the first thing that came to me. <laughs> if you don't like it, answer Stuart. <laughs> you don't like to answer him. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Right. There is the notion of homogeneous unit where people have a common interest that pull them together, although there can still be some pretty hostile issues going on in those groups. I've seen those quilters before. <laughs> have you, Bill? Thank you. Thank you, Bill, for the testimony there. <clears throat> Stuart, I think this does come back to 
which I've called, and I, I don't think it's an overstatement. I think this comes back to the miracle the church is supposed to be. If you can put Jews and Gentiles together in the ancient world, you can put anybody together. And when Paul is referring to the spirit of unity, that's in this passage, at least it's capitalized. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of you, the spirit is not going to bring disunity. And so I think it comes back to the notion that this is the miracle of the church. And the miracle of the church is when Pliny the Younger was writing back to the Roman emperor uh, in about, 30, um, about 35 uh, or 32 BC AD, or yeah, uh, writes back and, he, and he's, he's writing this comment and he says that there are uh, free and slave and male and female. And he makes this statement. And how they love one another and there isn't anything they won't do for each other. And so I think it speaks to the miracle of the church. That's what we're supposed to be. Whether we <clears throat> surrender ourselves adequately or not, that the miracle of the church is how do those people get together? How do they get along? What's the basis of this unity? They, they come from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic standpoints. They have different ideas, different you know, training. And so I think Paul is referring to that this worthy walk to, to stay up has to demonstrate this to the world. And, uh, you know, I said a few weeks ago, you know, there are over 2,000 denominations in America. Now, there could be reasons for some of that, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, but this understanding of this unit, and I'll, I'll give you my opinion here on this. Um, I think that one of the things in America, one of the things we've had is we've had such an easy run of it that we have opportunities to grab, argue, and bellyache, be my dad's word. When you get into the two-thirds world where Christians are really under duress, there's great unity. There, there's great unity. Uh, they did a study in the Army years ago that in the Army... When, when people get further away from the front, you know, from, from the front line where the war is going, the further away they get from the front, the more competition, more argument, and more bickering there is. The people in the trenches aren't arguing with each other. They're, they're trying to survive. And so I think sometimes in America, we've had such an easy go of it. This idea of unity has not really been that important to us because we could just kind of go down the street if we wanted to. I think it speaks to the miracle of the church as God's people who break every barrier and every, um, uh, every wall to say there's, there's something going on here that brings us together, that causes unity. It's the bond of the Spirit. It's, it's here. It's the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's a long answer. Does that make any sense? But then that, then that goes out into the world. And then, and then that goes, like Doug had said in his prayer, when somebody says, hey, whatever you got, I want. You know, what, what do you have? What, what is it that caused you to live like that? Um, Jesus, you know, said, it's interesting, he said, you will be my witnesses. He didn't say you'll witness. Did you get that? He didn't say you will witness. He said you will be my witnesses. How, and how you live, how, how you function, how you go about, how you live with each other. And so I, I think 
That's a great question. Now, uh, this, this unity, so this unity and experience, I, look here, it's, it's, it's these, these characteristics, uh, humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, uh, for one another, uh, being diligent to preserve the unity of the body of speech. Then, this other matter of unity that Paul refers to. Now, you'll notice here in uh, verse, uh, verse uh, 4, <clears throat> I don't know if Paul is using this grammatically, uh, if you will, uh, to, uh, to defend it. <clears throat> Or to, to support it. it he, he may be. But notice the word that, that recurs here. You, you see a word here in verse 4, 5, 6. What, what's, there's a word that recurs. One. One. Isn't it? Hmm. Isn't that interesting? When he says, doing all of this because, and I'm, 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 re, I'm relating that. Uh, it, it, there's a, a, an additional term here. Because there is one body, body of Christ, one Spirit, Holy Spirit, one God, and the Father of all who is over all and through all. One hope, one baptism, one Lord, one faith. All of those notions of saying unity is grounded in these matters here. That we have to identify or we have to acknowledge that there is this oneness about the followers of Jesus. And so it looks to me like, it, you know, notice here, I've got them listed here. I'll uh, try to, there's one body. Now, a lot of different parts, but one body. Not, not many. And, and so Paul's using an image here throughout the New Testament that he works with, that the church is this body that functions together as one. Can you imagine if, you know, and again, this is me thinking here. Could you imagine if your foot decided, hey, I'm not, I'm not hanging around today. I'm going over here. <laughs> what? You, you couldn't function like that. You know, you, you couldn't function if the body wasn't one, if, it, if all the parts didn't stay together, if they didn't, didn't, didn't function. And Paul, if you will, in 1 Corinthians 12, goes into great detail about this because there is still this problem in Corinth of saying, you're the eye, I don't need you. You're the foot, I don't need you. Wait a minute. There's one body. And you cannot separate yourself from that. There is one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the one that we seek to follow the one spirit, not the spirit of the world, not the spirit of our own thoughts. And you were called to one hope. Now, <clears throat> I spent a little time thinking on that and some others. I mean, these are, these are matters. But throughout the scripture, we see this idea of hope, this hope that we have. I think some authors would say that when Paul says we have this uh, one body, one spirit, <clears throat> one hope of our calling. What is that? One hope. Of our calling. Remember, he said, walk, walk worthy of your calling. He's picking the term up here. We have one hope of our calling. It seems to me, at least one possibility here, is that this refers to, in some understanding, the hope of our calling that what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Those first three chapters. Once again, he's pulling that back up to say, we have one hope of our calling. Our calling is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, the gospel. One hope, one Lord, not many, not others. You know, I, I grew up in a church. Some of you grew up in the same church I did that, you know, we, we would always talk about, you know, that we wanted to be 
Holy Spirit led. You know, we wanted, we had just, Jesus was the head of the one Lord, but it always seemed like that always got through the pastor. <laughs> Nobody else could ever have any ideas. We have one Lord. It's not the pastor. It's not the professor. It's not the teacher in the Sunday school class. It's Jesus, the head of the church. One Lord. And he would manifest himself and reveals himself through more than just one person. And so we have one Lord that we surrender to, that we submit to. One Lord, one faith. Um, you might look at this later, Jude chapter 3. That there is what Jude and others had talked about. That we, he said, you know, you're to contend for, defend for the faith that came from the apostles. You ever read that? We, that, that there is the faith. I'll read it to you here you just because you'll, it'll maybe make more sense if I can remember where Jude is. Yeah, where's that, Dick? <clears throat> yeah. yeah, Jude says it's 23, 25 verses. Yeah. He says, uh, For the faith that was once delivered to the saints, here in Jude 3, for the faith to contend earnestly for the faith which was the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. That this faith is not just some general, I believe in God. But there's one faith. There is this understanding of the faith. You know, some churches you grew up in, they, uh, the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. Kind of the idea of declaring the faith that was uh, delivered by the Apostles. And so there's one faith, one baptism. Wow, this has created some controversy. Uh, one baptism. Uh, some have suggested... <clears throat> that this is the triune baptism that Jesus referred to in Matthew 28, that you are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Suggest water baptism in this Trinitarian formula. But others have argued and talked about that this baptism, uh, uh, the thief on the cross was not baptized. I, I don't want to get into all of this, but uh, people that have deathbed conversions are baptized. And some have suggested that what this one baptism is, is what Paul uh, refers to in 1 Corinthians. It is, refers to this, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Spirit baptism. Spirit baptism, that by one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 15, we were all baptized into one body, into the body of Christ so if one is not baptized in the Spirit into the body of Christ, then are they a follower of Jesus? That would be the great question, wouldn't it? Or as Paul puts it, as many of you were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death. And so we have one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. Now notice here, this unity in experience is unity in our behavior and our unity, if you will, in what we're a part of. So we'll just refer to it again. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So how do we understand this? Seems to me <clears throat> that Paul is saying if you're going to stand up and you're going to stay up, then there has to be this understanding of how to live the Christian life in community. And after all, isn't that where the challenge of life is? Aren't people the worst? <laughs> you know, people, they're the worst, right? Learning how to live 
And this kind of fellowship, I talk to people all the time. Crossings is an amazing place. It really is. It has had some great leadership and some great things happen here. But there is the challenge for all of us to be able to and to, the capacity to be able to live in unity with one another. And I, I guess what I'm just trying to say is in order for us to be able to stand up and stay up, we have to take seriously how we relate to each other. We have to take seriously what the nature of the Christian life is. We have to take seriously this recurrence, this understanding of what God has done for us in Christ and how oneness of life is a part of that. So here's what I ask you to do on this part. One, preach the gospel to yourself all the time. Number two, for this week, for this week, would you take some time or at least some thought about your personal commitment to unity. I'm going to ask you to consider this. The one way I said we could probably do that is be careful we don't talk about people who aren't there. That's a pretty big ask, isn't it? (laughs) That's a pretty big ask, right? So to say, I'm going to protect the unity of the church the body of Christ, that if I get in conversation, I'm not going to talk about someone who isn't there. Now, possibility, you say, hey, let's pray for Stuart. We all do that, right? We, well, well, no. we, we might say in a conversation, hey, I just, uh, uh, you know, Stuart's not here, but I know, you know, he's going through a, a tough time. You have to go in a lot of detail, you know, but say, just, just pray for him. That's, that's, we're not talking about that. We're talking about where things are being shared with information that you really might need the other side to come to some accurate understanding or assessment of it instead of just talking about it. That that, that would be one way, wouldn't it, for us to affirm, to declare, to live out there is one body, one spirit, one Lord. Okay. Second of all, another way we could do this this week as we work through our life, is maybe just write the word one on a card or a sticky note or something. Just a note or a card on a sticky note. And just put it somewhere where you see to remind you, to remind you that you're part of the miracle called the church where there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope that we share together. And live that out in your daily life to say, I'm going to be reminded that I'm part of this oneness with God. Now, next week, let me just show you. I just think it's interesting, and I'll just make a comment here. Uh, it's just interesting here at verse 7. Paul makes a statement, but to each one. He worked out a one, and now he's going into each one. And I'll just give you this. We'll, we'll come back to this next week. That one of the ways to stay up Not only is unity in experience, but diversity in grace. This is the miracle of the church. Unity and diversity. Not uniformity. Unity around the faith, around the hope, around the the baptism. But not uniformity where we all look the same, sound the same, and look the same. That the ability to stay up has to do with this great section here of diversity in grace. So that's where we'll pick it up next week. Let's pray. Keep your heads up, right? Come on. Come on.
don't be looking. Here we go. Father, in the name of Jesus, we need your help. This kind of life, living together, learning together, being willing to be shaped by these, this passage is a challenge the church, I and others, have faced a long time. And we're asking you that we will have the strength to stand up, but we'll have the stability to stay up in this worthy walk this week as we apply these truths to our life. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Next week, it's grace.